If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to the number one place to listen to the Game Dev Unchained podcast. That's right, the Game Dev Unchained podcast. I'm Larry Charles, one half of the amazing co-hosting team that brings you this weekly episode of podcast. And the other person, I'll give you two seconds to guess. Uh, I'm tired of waiting. Mr. Brandon Fam. Hey, ready or not, here it is. Brandon Fam. welcome to this week's episode. I brought along a special guest this week, Chris Tilton. Hello, how you doing? Hey, Chris. Welcome. Thanks for coming on. Absolutely. So uh, this week's episode, your uh, article came across on my feed. Uh, it was about, you know, creating an indie studio, but coming from film uh, and the TV world, also like, you know, just adopting the indie love life of taking on multiple roles and learning everything at once. Uh, it was very interesting to me that... Uh, well, we'll let you get into it, but sure. before we go too far, uh, this is the segment where we usually go into your resume. So if you don't mind sharing that with our audience. Sure. Uh, I, I have mostly been a composer in the video game and TV industry. I, I moved out to California in like 2001 and started working for composer Michael Giacchino, who I still do occasional work for. Um, and... In 2009, I started working on the TV series Fringe. I started in the middle of the first season and then sort and completed it until its run was over in 2013. Mm -hmm. uh, I've done a few video game scores uh, in the past. Uh, some of them were because of Michael Giacchino as well, where like the very first Mercenaries game, he, he wrote the main theme and then I wrote the rest of the score. Um, we did a little bit of a similar thing with the video game Black. Um, I did the music for a, the single player, mostly the single player and main theme stuff for uh, Assassin's Creed Unity. I also did uh, the SimCity reboot in 2013. Mm. Uh, and but uh, since since uh, Fringe was done, I've also been working uh, on our indie game Divide. So oh, nice. Did you go? Here we in are almost out. It's <laughs> awesome. I mean, did you go into uh, school wanting to do games eventually, or was it just something you just came across? Uh, I I wanted to go into. I mean, at the time, uh, I wanted to go into movies or something. Uh, go as that you know, as time went on, uh, video game scores and. TV scores, I think, became more diverse and varied, and I think a lot of doors opened as well over the years. So, you know, I've kind of, I haven't done like a big movie score myself, but I've worked on movie projects uh, for Michael and, and various other, most, yeah, mostly just for Michael, but uh, then I've done TV shows as well as other game scores. So, uh, you know, I just wanted to write music for stuff and help tell a story i think it was just as simplest as you could put it and 
So I just sort of went where things took me. I didn't sort of have any set plan or anything. <laughs> so like this kind of. Oh, go ahead. <laughs> So uh, I'm curious about the process. So I'm not very familiar, even with game development. I have a sort of a good idea of what everyone does. But like, I guess the sound department is like there. You guys always have like the best office <laughs> with your surround sound. And you're kind of like off in your own branch in a lot of studios that I worked at. I, I don't really get to know the process as well. Can you kind of walk through like the difference between TV and game scoring if there is any? Well, I mean, I think, you know, I de- one, it depends on the kind of game you're making, but it, your your goals are the same where you're helping to tell the story, you know, where a TV, the form and everything is already edited out and, and dictated for you, basically. You just have to score what's there with games. Depending on the kind of game you're making, you have to write music that is, you know, and it could be music in games or cutscenes and stuff that are scored just like you would a movie or a TV show. But then there's obviously the the gameplay music and it depends on the kind of game you're making. If you're making an open world game, you know, you got to probably be picky and choosy about when and why you're bringing stuff in. Otherwise, it'll just become monotonous. Um, but you know, the player controls the pacing a lot of the time. So you have to keep that in mind. Sometimes it's looping a longer piece of music that can then go through different layers. You know, we do a variety of stuff on divide, whether it's that, or we have no music at all, mm-hmm. or we have music that will loop and sections, and then it'll wait until you progress to a certain point and then it'll move on to the next section, that kind of thing. So, you know, you're writing, you're writing things in, in a lot more pieces that can go from one form to another, or they could have two different kinds of moods or intensity, but are the same piece of music where, for a TV show or movie, it's like, this is what the scene is. It's not going to ever be any different than this. So you write one piece of music. Well, you know, you you iterate on the process of writing that piece of music, but ultimately you end up with one piece, whereas in a game, you'll have a piece that has many variants depending on, depending on how deep they wanted to dive into how varied the music could get. Yeah. The process sounds very familiar to uh, to animation. Like animation, they do a lot of things in loops in games, and then um, just based on the situation, they use certain loops. And then uh, in movies, you know, same same deal. This is the scene. Just animate. It's not going to change. <laughs> yeah, so, I actually haven't done any music for animation, so I'm not really sure what the nuances are involved in yeah. doing animation. Well, it feels like the process is very similar. Like it's... Um, I would like to say that the game is more like a little bit more technical. Yeah. And then movies is or this is a more straightforward, you know what you're you're getting and then you're working off of that. Do you enjoy one over the other as far as the process goes? Uh you know, I don't know. I, I like both. Uh I think ultimately where they are now, film and TV can deliver a story and an emotional narrative. Uh, really well and so there's a lot of opportunity to write music to that kind of stuff whereas in games it's not almost it's not always about that some of them are Mm -hmm. um so i I generally enjoy the things that are more character narrative focused and and then those are the reasons i'm writing the music like there's there's only so many you know combat three combat four you know, there's only so much inspiration that's going to come out of that, um, especially in the game world where you're working with not with very, very, very incomplete games at the time you're writing the music. Mm-hmm. 
Well, how often do you feel like you have to revise some of the stuff that you're making for games versus television? You know, like, is there a one and done kind of attitude or process for TV versus games? You're like, oh, actually, we want a little more ominous. Nope, a little more ominous than that. You know, or, you know, is it maybe exactly the same, I guess, when it comes to revisions? Uh, it's a well, certainly in TV, it's a little more one and done. There's not a lot of time to spend a lot of time re- revising things. You know, if, if there's something that's not working, you know, we'll talk about why it's not working and make some changes. But usually it's it's, you know, one set of changes and then we're done if, if there's any. Uh, in, in games, I don't know, I find that a lot of stuff gets written and iterated on, but then even still the way it gets implemented will, by the time it gets implemented, like the scene has changed a little bit and there's not really time to make adjustments mm-hmm. because it's like, it's just got to get in and ship. You can't, uh, you can't be having all these discussions at, at that point in the game. Did that answer the question? <laughs> I mean, more or less we leave with a, a good understanding that uh, television, yes, because of time constraints, it is a little more, okay, this is what we need. And then you get it executed. And then I guess games, you can kind of noodle a little bit more. Yeah, and you know, there. I I feel like in games is definitely the potential for a lot of cutting room cutting room floor music as you're trying out stuff. You know, and and also a lot of times when you're writing music for the game, the game is still trying to figure out what it is. And whereas, like a, a TV show or movie has, by the time, not always the case, but most of the time, the movie knows what it is and what it needs to be by the time the, the composer comes along. So um, I'm just going to jump in again. Of the projects that we talked about you being involved in, which one do you think thus far in your career was the most uh, skills and your efforts? Was it Assassin's Creed, you know, requiring all the different musics for the different areas in that game? Or do you think Fringe might have gotten you uh, a lot? Or uh, well, there, well, I don't know. Comparing the a, a game like Assassin's Creed where we had, you know, I don't know, worked on it for like seven seven months ish or so mm-hmm. uh and whereas fringe is just it's this like here's the episode here's a few days done next one gotcha. um you know y- you do have a season to kind of further develop themes which i like to write for characters and ideas uh, but you know they're they're both a work in different way where whereas assassin's creed we we spend a lot of time honing in on what the sound was going to be uh, in Fringe, you know, the sound kind of just developed over time, and it's a lot of work because you have to do a lot of stuff really quickly. Um, but I, I don't know. I mean, they're 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 both a lot of work in their own way. Assassin's Creed had more music than I'd ever written for a, a video game project before, and I wasn't even the only composer on it. You know, uh, Sarah Stachner did a lot of the music for basically a lot of the just open world wandering around and some of the co-op missions as well as, uh, and, and my music focused on all of the main story missions and main themes and stuff like that. So oh, like nice. the, the amount of music in like these open world games is just enormous. Mm-hmm. Can it be a frustrating process? Like you would, uh, you would mention about the TV coming at almost like at a, not a post process, but near the end, right? near the end of the mm-hmm. process where you know things are already set the the scene is there you, you can play off of that and then the, the game process is more like lego building sort of fragmented not sure what the final idea is but maybe this is a possibility you're kind of you're kind of like providing uh editing cuts basically 
for the editors later to piece together and not knowing the the end product uh, well, um, yeah, well, not always. A lot of the a lot of the stuff that you do early on is just experimenting mm-hmm. with sounds that are going to work for the game, and then maybe putting some ideas in and stuff like that. And then, well, a lot of that stuff happens in the first round, and like figuring that stuff out is fun. I wouldn't say it's frustrating or anything. That's just that's part of you know any any creative process on anything. It's not just music, but I mean artists working at the beginning of the project will do the same thing. And once they figure out what they know, then they can sort of go to town and, and, and just move. Uh, and it's the same, same way with the music. You know, once, once we knew what everybody liked and what was working, you know, it then went pretty fast. Mm-hmm. And um, as a sound designer, do you have the opportunity to start from scratch on everything that you do, or does it help like kind of having a sound bank of like, like broad stroke audio created to then, you know, start from like do you have a palette of sounds or do you always work from uh well when you say like, sound is because i'm not a sound designer well, I, I won't do the sound effects just, but do you mean like palette like as a musical palette yeah so like you kind of have like ominous one ominous two and then you have like you know fanfare one fanfare two that you can kind of use as a starting point is that part of your process at all um no? I, I wouldn't say that i make anything necessarily like that i will slowly over the course of time uh the the sounds i develop are going to be more synthesizery sounds anything that's orchestral i like to have formed in some way um so well when it comes to those i mean i will develop sounds that i like and then use them when they're appropriate and and oftentimes i'll take a bit of a sound that i maybe used a little bit in some way on a previous thing but then make make it work in a different way for this project and then also sometimes the projects needs have that sound or group of sounds that i start messing with you know expand in different directions so i don't really start off with a template i just sort of see what the game is what they're talking about what they need and then and then just sort of feel where i like feel like i should go and then just start experimenting Oh, wonderful. I only ask because I, as a designer, I have a lot of shortcuts that I, you know, over years of practice and just, you know, my own workflows, I have things that I can use as a starting point. And I was, you know, just asking on behalf of people who don't know much about composition for audio, if there are shortcuts or just ways that you being so far in your career could say, oh, you need this? Cool. I got it. I start with X, Y, and Z because this is kind of cliche for that type of thing. And then I lay in some, you know, finer characteristics later on. Well, yeah, I think I think in the broad strokes, you're absolutely right. I, I would I would say that maybe those things that people that a composer can draw on uh, manifest themselves in different forms. Like sometimes it's just an orchestral color that I know works because I've worked with orchestras and I know that this sound would be cool for this thing. Uh, so I mean, I guess that's similar if you had say a library of weird and different, interesting non-organic sounds or uh, or non-live playing sounds. Uh, that you've been work, working on. But yeah, yeah. so I would say that's, that's true. I mean, I think, but I think it's different for each composer. Understood, yeah, definitely. So now that, you know, you have this illustrious career <laughs> working on games and, and well, TV. <laughs> well, I mean, like, those are big accomplishments that people are still dreaming to, to do and you're able to do them. That's so, true. I mean, it takes a lot of time. I mean... You know. These things didn't happen over. I've been doing this for 15 plus years. So so now that you're at a point where like, you're about to ship your first indie title, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. What, where when was that jump? I mean, was it something that you were brewing 
for a while that you've always wanted to do your own game with a few friends like walk us through that process of when you decided to to finally do it and what led to that decision uh i i did uh, in fact uh, the lead designer on this game is someone i went to college with and we did used to brainstorm uh game ideas all the time uh, it was always uh, interesting. We would always just talk about it because we were interested in game design and what you could accomplish with game design narratively and gameplay-wise. Uh, but it was something that, you know, and then we kind of went off on our own careers. He he became a, an animator and then designer at a variety of companies, including Telltale and stuff. And then, uh, and then I, you know, had a, a music career, but then the, the game industry got to this point where a few people with an idea could do something and you could actually get it out there and, and make it a, a venture that was feasible as a business venture. Um, and so it, it was, it was just uh, timing, you know, something I wanted to do. Did I didn't realize I would ever do it until the time came. And, and I was just like, you know what, this is a viable thing we should try to do. So it, it was, you know, fringe was done I had to. I was thinking of something we should do. The consoles were in this place where they all had digital stores. You know, all, all these things were coming together. So I was like, "Well, we should just do this now." And then, so we just went ahead and did it. <laughs> That's awesome, man. So was I it? I think. Uh, oh, go ahead. <laughs> so was it a, a kind of leap of faith, or was it something? I know a lot of friends, right, that would have these ideas and they want to make the jump but they're always waiting for all the stars to align, planets to align to, to finally do it. Or was it just something you're like, all right, let's just do it. And it's more a gut feeling of how the industry uh, is lining up for you guys or what? Yeah, it was more the second thing, just a gut feeling like this is the, this is the right time to do this. Uh, you, you, you know, you shouldn't, you shouldn't wait around for stars to align because they're never going to do that. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the stars aligned because I had all this experience in the industry and I felt comfortable taking this on. Mm -hmm. But, you know, like if this was going to be something that we would have been able to start 10 years ago, the industry would have been in the state it's in now, but I would have had a lot less experience. I would have just started with something smaller. Mm -hmm. uh, but the thing is, you know, there's the one thing I've learned in the, in this industry is there is no substitute for experience. If you don't do it, you won't get better at doing it. Right. Mm -hmm. So like you won't, you won't do all this research and then suddenly do something and it's great and everything works out. That's just not how it works out. It's like you, you do a bunch of, you try a bunch of stuff, fail a bunch of times and learn how to make something good. And then you can make something and then you end up making something good. So did you guys uh, have this idea in mind already of what you wanted to do with the game? How far in pre-production uh, did you guys go before, I'm assuming you guys went full time with this, right? Both of you. Yes. Yeah. All right. So, how far in the process were you in pre-production to be like, "All right, we got something here. I'm gonna quit tomorrow. You gonna quit tomorrow? All right, let's go." Uh, well, it was more about bringing in people who had had experience in the game industry and had shipped games, so that we could basically rely on everyone to be on their own and do their own thing without having to micromanage anything because no one was going to have, everybody was going to have to take on multiple roles. Every game in, you know, one of the things we, that, that's the, that, uh, showed me that, Hey, we can maybe do this was when Bastion came out and super giant games formed, they had made games before they were industry veterans. So, you know, they didn't just come together, 
uh, just like, hey, let's just do this. They came together knowing how to do certain things, and they made to make they made sure to make a game they knew how to make, and they did. Uh, and so that was important. It was important. Like if we were going to do this bigger scope game with a small group of people, everybody had to know what they were doing and had to have done this before. I was probably, I was going to be the least experienced one, but I was confident enough that I had spent as enough time in the game industry and in the entertainment industry in general. I had learned a lot mm-hmm. about, you know, making mistakes, learning from mistakes and, and, all, and, uh, and about storytelling in general. But as far as like the genesis of what the idea was, it was always going to, it was always driven out of my uh, desire to see games that I was just not seeing. Like we were either seeing a uh, huge, like it's, I wanted something story driven with characters that you cared about, that you could spend a place that you could spend some time in. We were either seeing like uh, story driven games that were often almost uh, choose your own adventure games. There were very little gameplay heavy on story or heavy on gameplay, very little bit on story. And then those, when we got a nice healthy combination, we would have like the uncharted series, very much a popcorn film. I like, where are the ones or, or, and then the other one side, you had all these like art house films and like, where are, you know, obviously to sound a little biased, where are the sort of JJ Abrams esque mm-hmm. sort of mainstream popular ones, but popular uh, stories, but that, but that also had, you know, a more serious and character driven tone to them, you know, a much more, a stronger emotional component that was more integrated into what was happening mm-hmm. in the game. And I felt like there weren't a lot of those. I felt like when the last of us came out, that was, that was, that was something that that's like, yes, this is exactly what I want to see more of. Obviously we're not going to be able to do anything on the scale and budget of that game. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I didn't, and I, didn't have in mind something quite as dark as that. Um, but that, that was the impetus from us. It just started with like just some basic ideas. What would be interesting gameplay wise? What did I may want to make sure to do? I wanted to make sure that the character knew just as much as the player did. So like the player didn't have to learn a bunch of stuff that the character on screen already knew. Mm. Um, so it was like, okay, well then we th- should thrust them into this other world that, that is completely unfamiliar to him and the player. But like, what is this other world? If it's, if you're not coming from someplace you miss. So I said, we have to make sure we spend time in the regular world that we know and love. You know, uh, our main character is a widowed uh, single father, who's caring after his daughter and you spend some time with her as the sort of story develops. And then when you're ripped away from her and basically you're finding yourself in this new world without your daughter and you have to figure out how to get home. And then that's just the general premise of it. And that was always kind of the general premise of it. And we just sort of like then ask the logical questions. Okay. Well, what is this world he goes to? How does it work? How do we connect this to the world he comes from? Uh, how, how much connection should there be? You know, what was, you know, and just sort of develop a mythology and sort of world building. And then you sort of, and then the story sort of develops from there. Characters come in, they go away and we're like, okay. And then we, you know, bring back more refined ideas and it just sort of slowly develops. And then here we are with the game finally. <laughs> it's definitely, yeah, that's <laughs> a huge undertaking for sure like but you guys saw something that wasn't there and that's the passion is always and the timing is always great the one thing that i always hear often with with groups uh getting together that's more important than the idea itself is the right people i mean how how was that just finding you know obviously you made a lot of connections throughout your 
your tenure. So, like, uh, did you have difficulties? Do you have a lot of no's before yes? Uh, how did you guys figure out who's best for what? Yeah, I mean, a lot of it came from recommendations. Mm-hmm. Like, um, you know, if you want to be in the, this industry, you need to be good to work with. Uh, you know, when we get recommendations from friends, they're going to recommend people that are not only good, but know how to work with a team and know how to get stuff done. Um, so, like, our... our our environment artist was a recommendation from a friend who knew a friend who did some contract work on, uh, on Halo and also like uh, the SOCOM games, like that company, I forgot the, sorry, I forgot the name of the company, but that company had just gotten like disbanded and he was, had been doing some work on there. Mm -hmm. And then we met the animator through the environment artist, someone he had worked with before Uh, the programmer we found just by putting out ads. I was actually the most difficult person to find because we didn't, I didn't really have a lot of connections to programmers and it was a monumental task to be the sole engineer on a mm-hmm. project like this. Mm-hmm. So that, but uh, it is important. Like if you find a group of smart people that you like working with, you, you do something together, just mm-hmm. anything. doesn't matter what it is. Just do anything that like, and, and do something and finish it. Like don't do, don't start starting 10 ideas does not get you any clout. You need to start something and finish it. So start something small if you, you know, you're just starting to create anything at all. Um, that's the most important thing. And if it just, if, if for any like just broad strokes of just like making a game, like make a game that has a main menu, you can hit start and you can play it for a little while and you can hit start again and quit back to the desktop. Like start with that. Start with just something simple like that. Even that is something that people have a hard time uh, getting done a lot of times when they're making games. <laughs> But it's all very important. It sounds mundane to make a main menu and let you quit out of it. But it's all very important stuff to have, and you need to know how to do it. Yeah. Yeah, the process of just finishing a project is so important. Uh, We we had an interview a couple of episodes back, and uh, Johan, he uh, suggested – Doing like a like a game prototyping weekend or something, right? Before you even start a company, right? Just get the group that you mm-hmm. want to work with and go through a test project, a really quick one from beginning to finish, to get an idea of what it's like to work with people at their worst, right? <laughs> yes, certainly. Uh, essentially, that's it because you don't want to find out later like this guy is just breaking under pressure or anything, right? So it's important to go through that whole process to kind of get a feel of what it would be like, you know, when everyone's stressing and stuff. So, yeah, I mean, it totally makes sense to finish something you started. Yeah. Um, and there's, there's a lot of the, like game jams nowadays uh, where just like 24 hour, 48 hour competition. You just got to make what you can in those hours and it kind of forces you to distill down what you actually need to do versus what you want to do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, did you guys have any uh, seed money or was it just savings or how, how was that? Was it just everyone uh, part time or I mean, that would usually be the first question. <laughs> yes, that, 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 so, so, you know, there, there was some a few relatives that chipped in a little bit, but majority of the costs were by me. And a lot of it was uh, continuing to work as a composer. Um, like I worked on Assassin's Creed while we were starting to do this. I've also been doing uh, a TV show called Zoo every summer, on, and and those uh, those help. Uh, aside from also just getting better at what I'm doing, 
uh, it's also helping to pay for it. So it's kind of like I'm, I'm continuing to get experience that's making me better at doing the thing I want to do, and I'm getting paid for it that will help pay for this thing. So uh, not everybody can find themselves in those circumstances. That, that is what enabled me to hire people that have shipped games and expect a certain salary. Right. Oh. <laughs> well, there it is right there, the S word. <laughs> so, yeah, so unless, unless you're finding a programmer that has a bunch of savings – uh, or, or, you know, that is willing to put potential profits on the line, uh, you know, that's even harder to come by. And, and if you find someone like that, they're going to want to have, they're going to want to have a, a say in the direction of the game yeah. as well. So, and, uh, I, I want to jump in and touch on something. So the idea of working with a bunch of talented developers, right? You have, if you're heading it up and they're donating their time, and the idea has to be so sound and their faith in the team has to be so solid that to them, they see the value in donating their expensive time towards getting the project done. And then on the other hand, if you're going to pay them, then you yourself have to have like the utmost confidence in the idea and know that you're going to get the value out of these people and that the idea is going to be profitable. That's like a, it's a fine tightrope to walk where either way it could be very expensive. Yes. But by hiring people that have, have a lot of experience in the industry you can rely on them to give their feedback and their mm-hmm. own experience and just saying like oh here's hey in, in this particular aspect i think we're going wrong here because of a b and c mm-hmm. and we can have a discussion about it and they'll know to point those things out because they have the experience so there's that uh two like i think i think it is more important that that uh, that you all have worked together well and have good ideas than it is for the initial idea to be great, you know. Because I think like a game's idea kind of always changes and always starts with something simple anyway. It's like as long as you're confident that you together can figure out something cool, you know that that's that counts more than whatever weird idea you started out as the basis. Because you know that can always change and develop and whatever. Yeah, I guess that's fair. <laughs> well, uh, you you mentioned before we we're talking about how getting the right people. I mean, you, your your solution is pretty sound, actually. Like it it helps people take a leap of faith because you're paying them, right? <laughs> so mm-hmm. it's not it's not too crazy. It's like, hey, this is your time. This is the payment. Secondly. A lot of time indie developers where I feel like they take a lot of risk, which uh, you kind of avoided is that, you know, they quit their full time work cold turkey to try this idea that hasn't been proven to work with people they haven't worked before, maybe in a professional setting, but still like working on any team, it's, it's different, right? Even for professionals, there's a lot to figure out. Um, your method of just keeping your job <laughs> or still working and doing this on the side is so underutilized in my opinion, when people are, are starting to go indie, I feel like, yes, it's, it, it's hard work to do eight hours a day and come home and do things, but it's, it's kind of like a blessing in disguise because you know, you're still testing things out. You're getting a feel for things until you're completely confident like maybe for your second game, you like people can ship games doing the type of balance you're doing. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, it, it's that type of hard work that is necessary, I think, to finally make the jump. I feel like a lot of people skip that step and find themselves, you know, all the indie developers we never hear about, you know, crashed and burned for that reason. It's just like they run out of funds, right? They might be two games away from their hit, but because they ran out of money and because of the loss of money and and every and the stress, right, they never get there. So right, and who, and who knows if, like, if these same people had been working at a company for five, six years and then did this, would they have then succeeded? Maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, uh, you know, if you can't find time to do this, uh, if, if you want to get into indie developing, you know, it, you've got to be passionate about it. And if you can't find time to work on it, after work, then you're not going to find time to work on it with no job. It's like you, 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 if you, if you have the drive, you'll find the time to do it. Yeah. So like if your excuse is, well, I need a full work day clear to be able to do this. Like, no, you can do it with, without it. It's going to probably suck, you know, at first, but you know, you'll be able to find, you'll be able to find out if you can do it without quitting your job, Mm -hmm. you know, quitting your job. Is it going to suddenly, you know, make all these skills and desires appear? Either you have the desire and drive to do it and learn how to do it or not. Yeah. It's also scary too, right? (laughs) It's like a huge process, right? You got to figure all this stuff out on top of that. If you're going cold Turkey and you're you're quitting, right? You got to, you're looking at the clock constantly to see how much money is left uh, before your ideas, you know. I mean, in a bubble, it'd be, it's nice. I, I believe game, doing game design within a box, right? Having limitations like those game jams, 24-hour game jams, you have to make the game within this time. Those, got, uh, those deadlines are, are very helpful. Otherwise, you future creep like crazy. Right, because if you can do anything, you'll sit there pondering over the fact that you can do anything. Yeah. But if you just suddenly, if you can only do, you know, A, B, C, D, or E, well, then all right, then you can pretty easily pick one. Mm-hmm. And I feel like the best games are are made out of limitations, like just very restricted rules, uh, and just being very creative. Yeah, I'd imagine you'd even find that. You know, if you, you know, I have no idea, but I imagine if you went to Bethesda, you'd find, you find the, you'd probably find some kind of box that they fit themselves into when they make even a game where you can do perceivably anything. Like you can't, you know, obviously they can iterate over time, but it's like, there's a, there's tons of things you can't do in those games. They've just, you know, you don't think about it. Because they've made because they made decisions in the right places. Yeah, I mean, if you give Scarum like ten years, they'll take fifteen years to make it. Yeah, that's just right, right. And at some point, you want them to move on into a new project, take all their lessons learned, and make something new. Yeah. Because if you you know you work in a game for ten years, it's going to feel like you worked on it. It's going to feel like a fifteen year old game that's yeah. just really polished. <laughs> <laughs> so oh, during your process, I'm sure when you started, I asked everyone this like. Before you began, how long did you think it would take and how long is it now? <laughs> yeah, so I thought it would take two years and then 
we're about four and a half. Yeah, it's always double, <laughs> like that. Yeah, so so always double. Always you know, double, yeah. at the time I started, uh, you know, the the scope of what the game would be also increased, yeah. and went way bigger, and then shrunk down to something more refined. But even the scope of what the game is now is way bigger than I ever anticipated. So. It was, you know, when I when I first thought I thought that I was going to have to like hire a two D artist and keep this very simple and do it in two D, you know, make it more strict, like sort of Bastion or Zelda like. Mm-hmm. Uh, but everybody we hired was great at working in three D, so it was it would have been silly to force everyone to try and work in 2d when everybody was good at 3d so we did we did some cool things though i mean we we actually since since we have a forced camera perspective which came from the fact oh if it was 2d you wouldn't be able to get the camera um we have like very simple polygons um but we have a lot of detail baked into the textures of those they can give the illusion of way more detail than there is because you can't move the camera. Right. So, you know, then that allowed us to do a lot of cool, like lighting effects and things that we otherwise wouldn't have been able to do. Um, we also have uh, an, a streaming solution that allows us to build like these giant complexes that I never thought we'd in a million years be able to do. But um, I don't know. We just used our, our, our team's strengths to build, to build the game. Uh, and went went wherever that took us. Well, you don't have to feel bad about the extra time because we've talked to a lot of people. They've all doubled their times, but their games were pretty successful. So you're on par with uh, fellow developers. Yeah, and it, it also helped that we didn't announce our game until uh, just a little bit less than a year ago. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we waited until things were really pretty much on, the, on their tracks to finishing, and we had something cool to show because mm-hmm. it's so well it's you know on, on anything else because it's so crowded now everybody's making a game so you can't you used to like I, I would think when we started out you you could release some some concept art and people and you'd get coverage and people would be like oh my god a game's being made but now it's like every every day a gazillion games are being <laughs> made so so one of the biggest uh thing being an indie developer besides making the game is the marketing did you guys have a marketing plan in mind, I mean, what kind of research do you guys put into it? And you said a year out, just knowing at least, you know, you don't announce a follow-up saying there's a delay. It was pretty smart. <laughs> well, uh, funny enough, there you could technically say there was a delay since we said it was coming out in 2016 and it's coming out in January 31st of 2017. We were close though. Pretty close. Uh, so we didn't, we didn't, uh, you know, I had enough connections where I was just like, I know I'd be able to like give these to people and we'll get something. Mm-hmm. Uh, marketing is a whole separate ball game. We are working with a PR company basically to help get the word out to uh, press outlets, people who stream video games and things like that. And I think that that's definitely the better strategy for an indie game because marketing can cost as much as your game costs if you actually want to truly market it and make an impact. Uh, so we're we're not we're not the size of it. We're we're not the we don't need to do the kind of numbers that are expected out of a marketing campaign. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to get way more value out of working with a PR company that has connections with people who then have their own audiences who could then uh, stream our game or cover our game if if they felt so inclined. Mm-hmm. I'm not very familiar with the PR marketing for 
indie. I mean, can you explain the process a bit of what this Well, there's is? a there's a we're working with a PR uh, firm called 47. There's not that many. So, uh, I, you know, had a friend in the industry introduce me to them. We had a discussion and they've done, they've done marketing for big games and they've also done some for little games. And we just discussed what the cost would be mm-hmm. and we agreed on something and, and then went from there. And so, uh, I was able to get our game at the PlayStation experience, mm-hmm. uh, this past December. And then, uh, the PR firm helped, uh, make, people who were press members who were attending the show aware that our game exists and asked if they'd like to make an appointment to come play. Mm. So that's where they could help. Like we're there at the show and then the PR firm helps get people who actually have audiences come up and maybe check it out and, and perhaps do a story or anything on it. And also when it comes time to uh, streaming and reviewing and stuff, they have their own list. I've gotten emails from people from the exploding tuba site that then I then passed their info on and they're sort of coordinating all that. And I don't have to worry about it. Oh, nice. Definitely. Um, so were there direct benefits and like, other than the people coming in, but like once those things happened, once those people with audiences came to see your product, were any of the residual actions that came after that, you know, very beneficial to your game and group that maybe you can tell other developers about? Uh, I mean, it's hard to say there were certainly uh, some, some new stories on it. Sure. Uh, I, it's, it's hard to know to quantify like, okay, that's that, I mean, but no. necessarily, but I mean, you, you get coverage that you otherwise wouldn't have had. And then that's certainly better than nothing. I mean, certainly a PR company will provide you with, you know, when, when there's a push to get the word out there on who said what about it and, uh, and if there's videos, how many views and all that, all that stuff. I haven't done any kind of analysis on uh, how successful it's been. Sure, We're probably not going to be able to do anything like that until it's all done and out the door and people are hopefully yeah. buying it. Okay. Well, so, so your website didn't just crash one day because of too many clicks. No, but, <laughs> but the, uh, I put out an EP of the soundtrack with a few tracks. Uh, yeah. And one of the writers who, the, who wrote the, who wrote the story, um, perhaps the one you read. I don't. I don't know which one you read. Uh, put a link to like the main theme for Bandcamp, and then suddenly my Bandcamp page had a big spike, spike in it <laughs> and oh, listens nice. and stuff. There we go. Yeah, I mean, he's obviously working. I found you. <laughs> That's I mean, true. I mean, offloading PR is definitely one of the things that I would recommend to to a lot of people because that is. A whole different beast like people go to schools to get degrees in that like for you to try to make the game and be able to get the word out is so difficult i mean there are there are faculties in place nowadays with twitch you know it's still hard to reach those guys to be like hey do you mind but i think a pr firm is going to reach those marketing yeah. is like don't focus on marketing marketing is for like games that are a couple million dollars and more right 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 you know don't don't worry about marketing find find a pr company or pr person but yeah well, i would i would focus on like pr because they're going to help you get get your word out there yeah and when you guys were looking forward to kind of get things started with a pr company were there any naysayers in the group who were like oh we can do this ourselves everything is free now why do we have to pay somebody oh uh, no no not at all they were they all they everyone was concentrating on the large list of tasks they had to do nobody uh, like sure go do whatever you need to do you know yeah and if anybody says that it's like oh everything's free it's like no it takes a lot of work to make connections 
I feel like indie developers are, are getting smarter about that now. I think at the beginning, sure, there was a lot of like, well, Facebook is free. I can post something right now. But yeah. now it's, you know, the indie scene is so big. that uh, yeah, It's not about posting something on Facebook. It's about yeah. getting in front of someone who has like an audience. Yeah. Like it's do, you, do you know lots of those people? Great. Then maybe you don't need a PR person at, to start. Exactly. But if you don't, you know, you're very likely not going to know that more than one or two. So you should work with someone who knows a bunch. Yeah. So during development, right, I'm sure there was a lot of stress, a lot of pushing, a lot of deadlines. Can you kind of give like a little lesson learned, uh, just paying it forward to developers out there? I'm sure that we're going to go over the stuff that you expect, but it's always interesting to hear like a more personal take on on things that you you're thinking going one way and then, you know, it just completely blew up people working together, things like that. Um, yeah, I think, you know what, I'll, I'll point to something that we did recently that we should have done a long time ago. Uh, it was way more valuable than we ever thought. Um, it was playing a PS4 build. I had no way to stream it to everyone. You know, everybody's working remotely. This is probably common for a lot of indie devs. So I basically just pointed my laptop camera at the TV, put the build, the PS4 build, and started playing it, and then everybody chimed in and then we just started talking about every time we we encounter an error we someone was making notes um we would talk about it and everybody and while i was playing like like half of the things we pointed out were fixed by the time i was finished playing because everybody could just play oh i'll go fix that right now Boop, checked yeah. in done uh you know and we were like wow we discovered way more stuff that we need to fix uh through this method than any other method so i would recommend like uh, once awesome. you get once you get a build where you can play more than five minutes, um, or, or even if it's just five minutes, point the point your laptop camera at the TV. You know, if you got a PC build, you can probably stream it directly in the Hangouts. Uh, but just play, but just play it, and just let everybody watch and take notes, and everybody's doing it at the same time. Everybody can kind of see everyone else's work working with their work. Uh, that was really helpful. So yeah, just do do that more often like so for our next project we're gonna do that like at least every month mm-hmm. uh and then as things progress more maybe every two weeks just like i'll play it or someone will play it and everyone else will watch take notes and fix stuff and like if we had done that earlier we would have been a lot less stressed in this last part <laughs> but you know now yes. carrying forward yeah yep it's so that's, of, that's brilliant. I know it's so simple. Play your own game. <laughs> well, we all played it. We all played it in but like together. Bubble, yeah, you know? play it together. Yeah, we all played it looking for our own things yeah. that we were doing. Yeah, it's always good to congregate in some form. Like even if you, you know, working at studios and stuff, like you're in a company of three hundred to a thousand people. Their interaction with others is so low. <laughs> you're kind of stuck at your desk most of the time like if i can't reach out and touch you in any way then you don't exist to me in a lot of companies that i've worked for so it's always good to congregate in in some form like play testing together and bug fixing together yeah you know and probably like no one wants to do it everybody wants to go home but yeah. just do it yeah so like, like just 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 like schedule a day yeah that's just doing that and like all right nobody does in their regular work we're doing streaming day so yeah so what was that moment when you guys uh, went from an idea to your first prototype and 
how was that? Like, I, I'm oh, sure. I don't know if there was a specific moment because it was a real slow process. The, the first thing was like getting a character on screen that would move around via the controller. And it was like just, you know, a generic, like temporary character that like came with Unity or something like that. And then it was about getting like some environments for him to walk around. And then, then we got our environment artists and started creating those environments. Then we started lighting them. And then we, then we introduced, you know, the nodes you could click on. And then, so it was just like very, very, very slow. It's Mm going to go slow. Like there isn't going to be one day, if there's going to be one day we're like, holy shit, it's a game. It's going to be like a month before you ship it. <laughs> so four years later is when you're going to have your moment. Yeah. Like it literally everything comes together in like the last few months. Yeah. Like where, where everything's finally running and working together and you finally see what it is. And then you wish like, man, I wish I had another year to work on this now, but you mm-hmm. don't. <laughs> it's past that moment where he's like, I want yeah. to ship this goddamn thing. Yes. It's like we, you know, if we don't ship it, we can't move on to bigger, better things. And yeah. you can't put everything you want in every yeah. game. It's like, you'll be, you'll just though, be making it forever. Yeah. I will say though, that in 2017, in this era of game development, customers are used to day one patches and updates. <laughs> well, yes. With, di- with digital games, I don't feel like you need to feel as like guilty about that, though, because everybody's just got to have an internet connection to download it anyway. Yeah. Uh, yeah. With, with you know, it's it's a two way street. I think uh, with disc games, you know, I, I don't know. There's a lot of pressure, and you got you got to have that ready even way earlier than you think you do, and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. But I don't. I don't have to think about disc games right now. <laughs> no worries. I mean, how many times did you guys, uh, you know, during your brainstorming sessions, you're like, oh, no, oh, I have an idea for our next game. <laughs> like, how many conversations <laughs> did you guys have with that? I mean, it's very Oh, we have, we have occasional conversations like, yeah. oh, it would be cool to. So, you know, and, and I, every company does this. There's like a little, we'll have, someone will have a game idea. They'll just write it down and put it in the thing mm-hmm. to be looked at later. Uh, so sometimes it's a game idea for the current game. Sometimes it's a game idea for a different game. Yeah. Sometimes your game idea goes in the notebook. Sometimes it goes in the trash bin. <laughs> <laughs> or gets incorporated somehow into some other idea. Yeah. It's always helpful. Well, I mean, you guys are, are really close to the finish. I mean, at this point, you guys are just bug fixing. And, well, well, now you it's already done, right? Like yeah, it, it is done. We're we're putting we're gonna like push one more quick patch before release to fix a couple little things. But I mean, yes. when you buy the game, it'll just all download, so no one will want it. Yeah, it's actually nice. We're we're actually one of the first to uh, try out new Sony's new. Uh, rapid patch which i probably shouldn't uh, delve into too much detail because they don't like you sure. talking about behind the scenes stuff yeah but yeah, uh it's just they just uh they basically taken the process and just streamlined it to just a few steps so nice. like you can literally make your patch and then like within a few hours it's available it's already to up people. and going damn yeah so like awesome. yeah i mean it's still gotta like by the time you're doing those rapid patches you've you've passed all of the hard stuff mm-hmm. so you know a lot of times it would if the, the any delays would just be like because it was waiting in line to go through the, the usual process or something like that. But now they've they've streamlined it, and I I, I would assume uh, you know I don't know I have no idea, but I would assume Microsoft would do something similar, especially especially now with all the indie developers who are just like if there's something critical you need to fix, it'd be great to be able to get it out there like the same day. Yeah. Did you guys oh, initially for sure. go for Steam or was it just halfway through Sony Solid and? 
Um, I kind of always had a goal of being on one of the consoles to launch because it's Steam was already getting more and more crowded, and mm-hmm. the consoles at least you have a little bit of. You're you're not you know you're you're dealing with maybe like six releases on a Tuesday as opposed mm-hmm. to a hundred. Right. Um, you know, Steam had what? Well, there's article like four thousand games. Yeah. Last year, that's insane. Like the no how so. I felt like, well, the better strategy is just to be on a console so people know we exist, then go on PC. Because if we just launch on PC, no one's going to know necessarily we exist, and then there'll be that, and we'll just go come and when. That wouldn't have been good for anybody. People people who were interested in wouldn't have heard about it, and then we wouldn't have made any money. Yeah. That's a very interesting strategy. How funny has it, has it flipped? It used to be Steam being the one that... Yeah. Yeah. It used to be, you know, and also it was just we we approached both Sony and Microsoft, and Sony responded uh, more favorably to helping us get test kits and start making a game for their platform. Mm-hmm. How early in the process was that? Uh, this was uh, this was like summer. Yeah, this was like um, spring, like late spring, twenty fifteen, when we started like getting put in the Sony system, and then we've got dev kits like that early summer and then we did a whole big uh con- like making the game run on ps4 like a lot of technical work so is sony gonna help you guys with the the marketing push and everything i mean what's i know not too much behind the scenes stuff but um i mean we don't have any like special deal signed with them so right. <laughs> but so always- i mean i guess not, not i mean yet. it'll be on their store <laughs> yeah <laughs> Well, I'm happy to hear that they're making it easier for developers to work with their stuff, especially for the smaller guys. You know, the smaller guys are not going to be smaller guys for long uh, in my eyes. So it's good to see that Sony's actually cultivating the relationship and legitimately cultivating the relationship is what I should say. Yeah, they were. Yeah, we were able to get like we even got PS4 protest kits and stuff. Damn. So we were able to test it all on that stuff. And um so yeah, they've been very, very helpful at getting us what we need. That's good to hear. Way to go, Sony, and your team as well. But just glad to hear that this is how things are going for the the indie dev and Sony, the juggernaut console maker. Yeah, start you know start a dialogue with them as soon as you can, even if you're not ready, because by the time you're ready, it's going to be helpful to have already have you know a business relationship with someone there who can help you get started. Because it's, it's intimidating at first. There's a lot. If, especially if you're self-publishing, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of things to do and a lot of like multiple sites that all work together and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. be prepared for for a learning curve. Well, I'm prepared. I'm going to go hit up Sony right now and be like, "Hey guys, <laughs> <laughs> I don't have a game idea yet. I'm just cultivating really. No, I'm just kidding. yeah, pen and paper awesome. ideas." <laughs> Well, let me ask you this. Let's let's help the, the students out for a little bit. Sometimes it is good to give back to the people who are way behind you and wanting to compose and wanting to, you know, break into your field of work. So I'm going to ask from the person who knows zero. Is it possible to see myself as a game developer who is a composer who does not play instruments themselves? Like I don't play guitar or I don't play, you know, whatever. Maybe I can pluck piano, but that's about it. Is it, can I still you know, arrange a great, you know, orchestral piece and be a game developer that does sound and engineer, excuse me, engineer sound and I mean, it's, it's not impossible, but you're making a lot harder for yourself if you don't at least know something. Like, I would recommend at least knowing piano 
I would recommend some basic drum skills because that really improves. I played uh, snare drum in high school, marching band, mm-hmm. oh, uh, yes. and that was very, very valuable. And not only like giving me a very good sense of sense of rhythm, but be also being able to just think of interesting rhythms. Uh, so uh, you know, I, I would recommend that you 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 at least learn like piano and some some kind of drums. Okay. The reason why I ask because I have my piano right over here, and I'm gonna play. Oh, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> gonna get your opinion on some terrible music I wrote. <laughs> See if I should keep designing games. <laughs> Next question then is. If I am a well-versed musician and I'm interested in composing, but I haven't had my first big break, what are maybe two things that you could say that would help somebody in that position? Like, hey, you know, utilize this or go seek out this website or, you know. I would just listen to as much music as you can that you're unfamiliar with to see if anything strikes you as something interesting that you might integrate to your own music to just sort of help give you an identity. Mm. it takes that take that takes time though like i didn't feel like i had a real strong identity of who i was as a composer until like until i was basically almost done with fringe and i had been out here for over a decade at that point uh the other part i always say is is you know it depends on what you're interested in if you're someone like me interested in, in narrative uh you know, watch watch a movie or pick a scene from your favorite movie and just analyze it and think about why the scene when they they put the scene here someone wrote it for a reason someone edited it into this movie the movie at this moment for a reason try to figure out what that reason is what what character trait does it give the audience that's important what plot piece does it give the audience that's important and then analyze what the music is doing in that scene when it comes in and what it is actually commenting like if the scene is really about this on the surface looks like it's about this but it's really about this it's more likely that the music is probably commenting on that subtext because that's usually more effective. So I, you know, I would do those two things. Listen to as much music as you can, especially music that's outside your wheelhouse. And then if you want to get good at using music in a narrative sense, like pick a movie you like or know that is good and start analyzing scenes and what the music is doing for those scenes. All right. Well, I have another question for you. Okay. This is, are you ready to talk to the audience and tell them things that you're excited about, ready to remote or involved in? <laughs> because you have successfully podcasted with us for one whole hour. And as our thank you, every guest, we always let them talk directly to the audience to kind of promote or to raise awareness or to thank or to just, you know, shout out anything that's important to them. And the floor is yours. Well, I'm just going to keep it short and sweet. If you're interested in a sci-fi action adventure, uh, top down slash isometric uh, indie game that's heavy on character narrative and story uh check out divide on playstation 4 on january 31st all right we're we're releasing in the u.s only first and we're immediately starting uh, tr- uh translations and stuff like even to come to canada it needs to be in french and things like that so uh you know we, we have to we're gonna have to work with a translation department and team to help us with that but we're gonna get it in as many places as we can all right. And what's your the name of your company? Exploding Tuba. Exploding Tuba. Look them up. Exploding Tuba. Their game divide is on the U.S. store for PlayStation, January the thirty first. 
And since I'm the one on the mic, I've got the right. My name's Larry Charles. I'm saying goodnight. Hey, this is Brandon Fam. Thank you, Chris, for joining us. The game looks great. Can't wait to check it out, man. Uh, Thank you. See you guys next week. Thank you all for having me. If you enjoyed this podcast and you want to stay in touch or continue to follow our developments, then you need to go to facebook.com forward slash game dev unchained and drop a like and stay in touch. You can also get the direct feed for this podcast on soundcloud.com forward slash game dev unchained.